In Matthew 26, the one of the records of Jesus sharing the Last Supper with his disciples is recorded. We find that beginning in verse 26. And as we begin a new year, we are going to share this table together probably at least a dozen times, perhaps more, with special occasions uh, that occur during the year. And I think every once in a while we need to, to stop and think about what we're doing more than just going through the motions of a symbol. So many times uh, when things are done frequently, they become rote. Um, and we get uh, in the habit of doing it without being uh, thoughtful, deliberate, and uh, meditative about it. I think that's one of the risks of liturgy. Uh, I think there are risks to having no liturgy as well, but they're a different sort. One of the risks is that when we do something out of habit, it loses its freshness and vibrancy. And so, as we have shared together, and I think in such a beautiful way, to give us just a tiny glimpse into what it will be to share the Lord's table at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when all the church of all the ages and all the races and all the languages are gathered. And I don't think we'll have the Babel problem there of understanding. Uh, whatever language we're speaking, everyone else is going to hear the one they know, however that's going to work. But we get to see a glimpse into that. But I wanted to take some time this morning and just reflect on the meaning of the Lord's Supper. In verse 26 of Matthew 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, He broke it. And He gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is My body. And when He had taken a cup and given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's some discussion in the commentaries on what particular evening and what particular supper they were sharing together, but the indications are that Jesus, in whatever time frame, was sharing the Passover with his disciples. Luke records an interesting verse that neither Matthew nor Mark tell us. He said, I have desired with great desire to share this meal with you. This is something Jesus was really looking forward to. There was great anticipation in his own heart. He was anxiously waiting, and I don't mean in the nervous sense, but in the anticipatory sense of sitting with His disciples and sharing this meal together. I think partly because of being with them in such a significant moment. 
I think also because of all of the culmination of history that was behind the meal. And then in the awareness of how he was going to change its meaning for them to something that would be different from that day forward. The Passover meal, as most of you are well aware, was instituted in the land of Egypt on the night of the Exodus. Uh, as God gave instructions through Moses on how to prepare for a dinner, that they were to be ready to leave at a moment's notice that land of slavery and bondage and go to a new land of freedom and blessing flowing with milk and honey, the symbols of just richness and and lushness, that they were about to embark on a journey that was going to set them free. The nine plagues had occurred. There was one left that would finally break the neck of Pharaoh, in a sense. It would finally uh, cause him to give in to Moses' request, let my people go. And that was going to be this tenth plague where the angel of death passed over the land of Egypt and the firstborn male of every household died as the death angel passed over the homes of the Egyptians. But God said to his people, I want you to take a choice lamb, the best lamb from your flock. And I want you to uh, sacrifice that lamb to prepare it for a Passover meal. And when you do that, I want you to take some of the blood from the lamb, and I want you to uh, paint it on the doorpost and on the lintel of your door. And when the angel of death passes over the houses of the land of Egypt, when he sees the blood on the door, he will pass over your house, hence the name, and not come there, and all of your family will be spared. It was the symbol that the lamb was the sacrifice for their firstborn. And those of you that are not carpenters may not be able to visualize, although I think most people do get the picture, but this door has two doorposts. And if you're framing it up, you know that there's a couple of extra two-by-fours. One of them is called a jack that holds up uh, the, the door header. And th- these are the door posts that hold the door, and here's the lintel. And doors have been made like that for years and years and years. The lintel rests on the post, and the door hangs in the opening. And what the instructions were was to paint the blood on the door post and on the lintel. And you can see visually that it is an image of the cross. As the thorns were pressed into Jesus' brow and his hands were nailed outstretched to the cross beam. That that very evening, this symbol began with all the richness of pointing to an event. That would be the reality of which this was merely a shadow. That one day the Lamb of God, would be sacrificed for our sin, that His blood similarly would be spilled, and that 
the payment that He made would take us from our slavery and bring us to the promised land of freedom and deliverance and abundance because He promised, I have come to give you life and to give you that in all of its abundance. When they sacrificed that lamb, there were uh, two parts to the sacrifice, if you want to think of it in those terms. One was the sacrifice itself and the blood is spilled and drained. And then the second part was roasting the lamb and they were to eat it ready to go. They were to have their garments on and their sandals and be ready to go at a moment's notice. But they were to eat that lamb to give them strength for their journey. It was both for them a covering and their food. And friends, when we think about the, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and the symbol of the Lord's Supper in the bread and in the cup, there is always in the cross these two elements, these two uh, uh, actions, if you please. There is the death and um, treatment of the body of Christ, the beating and the bruising and, and the bearing of sin in His body on the cross, wherein He died, that in His death and in His resurrection brings life to us. He in, is, in fact, our daily sustenance. His body is our food. Peter puts it this way, that we have been made partakers of the divine nature. And I always think of that when we share communion together. I always think of the fact that I'm taking a crumb of bread and putting it in my mouth and eating it and swallowing it, and it is becoming a part of my life in terms of uh, whatever calories and benefit are in that a little morsel of bread, but it symbolizes the fact that Jesus Christ is my bread. I am the bread of life. He is my sustenance. I have been made partakers of His nature. In Him is life. There is life in no other. He has life. And He revealed Himself as the bread of life. You remember when he fed the multitudes, and they were um, pretty excited about that idea. Talk about a social welfare system that was beyond all imagination. All they had to do was follow him around and get free food. And uh, after uh, that event, Jesus wanted to get away with his disciples for a bit, and so he went to the other side of the lake, but the crowds met him there. They, were, uh, they didn't want to give up on their uh, bread basket that easily, and so they were waiting. And Jesus uh, basically saw through their motivation and said essentially to them, you're only interested in free food. You don't really care about what I have to say. And to make his point, he said something in John chapter 6 that was really quite brutal to the ears of Jews. Uh, He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have life. Well, they didn't want the free bread anymore from someone that was as crazy as that. And so they went away. 
And Jesus turns to his disciples on that occasion. He says, are you going as well? And they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You are the one that has the words of eternal life. Uh, we want to stick with you. We want to be close to you. But Jesus was, was, again, he was using shocking language to point out a very real spiritual truth. That his life in, in his body and in his resurrection, that his life is our life. That He is the provision for our daily requirement. When He was fasting in the wilderness and very hungry at the end of 40 days, and Satan suggested that He turn stones into bread because He surely had the power to do so, and He did have the power. But outside the will of His Father, He would not act, and He said... Man shall not live by bread alone. It's not the physical bread that is the absolutely essential part of life. And I reminded you just a week or so ago that when he was at the well uh, with the woman, and suddenly he was refreshed in his ministry to her, so that when the disciples came back with natural physical food, uh, too famished to go into town with them earlier. Now he is revived. And they wondered, where did you get food? Did anybody bring him bread? And he said, I have bread to eat you know nothing about. Our real refreshment, our real sustenance, our real supply is in Jesus Christ. Isaiah reminds us that he was wounded in his body. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. As we look at the cross and as we share the two symbols at the communion table, the bread reminds us of the fact that Jesus Christ has taken our infirmity, that He has borne our sins, that He has died and carried them into the grave with Him and resurrected in new life. And now He lives to give us life. And as we come to Him day by day by day, He provides all that we really need he provides the strength. He provides the grace. He provides whatever our day requires. As your days are, so shall your strength be. He is our sustenance. And so he says to his disciples, this is my body. It's broken for you. This is my body. Eat it. And every time you eat the physical bread, remember that you need me more. Remember the bread of life. Remember that it is freely offered. And every time you share this meal together, remember all that that bread signifies. Because it is in the body of Christ, and in His death and in His resurrection that we have abundant life. But then he also took the cup.
This was the third cup in the Passover celebration. It was the cup of redemption, very significantly. And he said, this cup is my blood of the covenant, which is shed for you. We are able to enjoy the life. We are able to benefit from His resurrection because in the cross He also shed His blood. And the blood on the doorpost for the Israelites in Egypt was a covering. It said, in essence, ignore this house. Pass on by. Do no harm here. We're also told in Scripture it is a cleansing, that He has cleansed us, that we are washed and made whiter than snow. And that reminder is that in the presence of God, when we come to Him, it's as if we had never sinned. Everything has been washed away. There is nothing laid to our account. I was uh, sharing in the first service a thought that came to my mind, and I'm sure Jonathan won't mind, I'm not revealing any deep secrets, but it's interesting how uh, somewhere between the ages of middle teens, 15, 16 or so, and mid-twenties, that relationships between children and parents change. And when, when my sons were younger, you know, if they had done something wrong, the goal was to keep me from knowing it. Or to be concerned if I found out and to, to hide that fact as much as possible. Uh, I don't know if it was out of fear or just the fact that I was an inconvenience in the, the judgment of the progress of their lives. But anyway, uh, children tend to want to hide their misdeeds from their parents. But as maturity develops and they become uh, young men and women, they become responsible to God for their own actions. You know, I, I don't discipline my sons anymore. They're grown uh, it's up to them and God. But, and the relationship has changed. We're able now to talk, sometimes jokingly, sometimes seriously, about our foibles and our problems and some of our family inheritances that we've passed along to them, like it or not, and, and uh, even discuss uh, some areas that are, that are struggles and temptation and whatever without fear. Because I'm not there to punish or discipline or whatever word you want to put on. That's not my role. And hopefully I can be a friend and a confidant and maybe somebody that's uh, already navigated that path. The fear is gone. That's not to say that John or Stephen either one want me to know everything. That'll never happen <laughs> with any of you either. But... Um, but our relationship with God because of the blood has changed the, the connection. 
it is no longer a fear of judgment, but it is coming boldly to the throne of grace where we can find help and gain support and get reflection and have the Holy Spirit help us see the roots of our difficulties and talk openly with God about our failing and our sins and our struggle with temptation because the fear has gone. Jesus has taken the punishment. He has borne the judgment. Through His blood we are cleansed. And none of us are naive enough to say we are without sin. If anyone says he has no sin, he, he makes him a liar and the truth is not in him. But it is to say that the, the dynamics have marvelously changed. When Jesus spilled his blood and cried, it is finished, the veil was torn from top to bottom. God himself threw open the access to his inner holy of holies and said, you are welcome here. If what I'm talking about is foreign to you, may I suggest that you have a faulty view of grace, that you have not yet gotten it, because Jesus Christ has fully and completely and totally paid the price, forever removed our sin, taken away the penalty There is no more judgment for sin. And we can come boldly to the Father and say, Father, God, Abba, Father, I need help here. Not naively pretending that there are no problems, but recognizing that there is nothing we need to pay for. Jesus paid it all. His blood completely covered our sin. When you take the cup, no more death. He that lives and believes in me shall never die. We we guaranteed of eternal life. Jesus says this is the blood of the covenant. God's not fickle. He doesn't... uh, say yes today and no tomorrow to the same thing. He is a covenant-keeping God. And he says, when you put your trust from the depths of your his blood has covered your sin, and I receive you as my child. It is a covenant relationship sealed with his blood. And we are forever his. Praise the Lord. We can rest in that. I'm so glad that war is won. And I have come out on the side of life eternal in the presence of the Father. As I was reading this passage, though, I have to tell you one of the words that stopped me in my tracks. It's kind of interesting. Occasionally, one word will just leap out with with new illumination. And that was the word... For the forgiveness of sins. Isn't it curious that it did not for all? 
And that stirred my spoke those words. You can think of it in many ways. And I'm not speaking here, by the way, of any kind of Calvinism or Arminianism or limited atonement or anything like that. I'm just looking at the reality that not everyone will benefit from the shed. There will be those who never receive the awe of salvation, who never accept the blood and life in the church, in the body of Christ, because only those who believe can become a part of his body. I think of the many in Revelation from every tribe and every tongue and every nation that will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be representatives from all the world and from all the ages and all the races and all the colors and all the languages. Perhaps Jesus had those in mind. The word many actually means multitude here. This is my blood which is poured out for a lot of people. Perhaps he had them in mind. Perhaps he was looking down from that passage in Hebrews that says, For the joy set before him. He was looking down at his bride, the, the whole church. But what touched my heart was not everyone will be there. Not everyone will be a part of the church. Some, because they never heard, somehow the mission didn't reach them in time. And there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Friends, I, I, hope, I hope you know and understand that we live in a day of uh, soft-shoed, soft-hearted, ushy-gushy relativism, but the Scripture is very, very plain. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we may be saved, must be saved, except Jesus Christ. And... He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. There's no alternative. There's no second choice, other chance. Some will not be included because the mission did not reach them in time. Some will not be included because we were there and we didn't reach them. God said to Ezekiel, when I say to you, go and warn this person about their sin and the judgment that's coming and, and you don't do it, they're going to die in their sin and bear their judgment, but I'm going to hold you responsible because you didn't say anything to them. But if I say to you, go and warn this person about the, the, the coming judgment and, and you go and you tell them, and they do not hear you, and they die in their sin. They will bear their judgment, but I will not hold you responsible. We have a responsibility because we have been given great grace, an amazing message, the good news that Jesus Christ has given His body and shed His blood, and we can come home to the Father and be forgiven and have life eternal. We have that message. 
And, and this really touched my heart that Jesus Christ died for all, but not all will benefit. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And yet, not everyone will. He said, the gate is wide, the path is broad that leads to destruction. Most people are going down that path. The gate is narrow, the way is tiny and thin that leads to life eternal, and only a few are traveling that way. And we may be the ones put in their lives to make the difference, the ambassadors. The, the dominant thing that is on my heart this year is that God loves people. He loves McHenry. He loves our neighbors and our colleagues and our friends and our family. He loves them. And He wants to speak to them through us the wonderful news of Jesus Christ, the wonderful message of the gospel. Some of them don't want to hear it. Some of them are hard to talk to. Some we may have to pray for for a decade or two or three. Some we may drink endless gallons of coffee with over the years before the tiniest crack in the armor is opened for a single word. But God loves them. And He has given us the privilege of being His ambassadors. When we come to the Lord's table, we take the bread and we take the cup, and we are reminded that He is the bread of life, and we are reminded that His blood has cleansed us from all sin and we are reminded that it is this atonement that has made salvation possible and we look forward to the day when he comes again and we sit at the marriage supper of the lamb and we all share that time together and we're all gathered together and whatever that vast area is going to look like i have no conception how that's going to be at the marriage supper of the lamb But I want as many people to go with me as possible. I want to pray for them. I want to hold them up. Those, those ten people or so that we're praying for, and perhaps others that God puts on our hearts, I want them there. I want my neighbor there. I want to know that he's going to be there when I get there. I want to know that. We have this treasure that God has given us in jars of clay. Let's be faithful to the, to the mission. Father, I want to pray that you would cause us to be very thoughtful every time we come to the table of the Lord, every time we take the bread and the cup. to take the time to think about what it means. 
And then to be reminded that we carry a great treasure. We have been made ambassadors. We are messengers. Oh, Lord, that we would be faithful in saying and doing all that you ask us to do. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.